0: This episode of the Artsy Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Artists, photographers, and designers of all kinds have used Squarespace to showcase their works, and you can do it too. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch your site and show your work to the world, use the offer code artsy to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's offer code artsy, A-R-T-S-Y. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by editor Casey Lesser.
1: Hey, Isaac.
0: And associate editor Abigail Kane. Hey. So we're here to talk about cake art, a subject near and dear to your Instagram, I'm sure. It's also the focus of a piece Casey wrote and published last week and actually, interestingly enough, a major Supreme Court case, but we'll get to that later. Casey, you're now the official artsy expert on cake art. Can, can you maybe just t- tell me like wh- what it is and where it came from and why we're talking about it?
1: The piece that I've written is about cake artists, which isn't really a technical term. Um, I'm kind of exploring these artistic approaches to cake that a lot of um, cake makers, bakers, cake designers um, are doing um, today. And... It's something that you've probably seen on TV, all over the Food Network. Um, And maybe if you're like me and you like watching videos of people making things on Instagram, you've also seen it maybe in your Instagram. So I was really interested in these kind of inspiring and inventive cakes and wanted to learn about the people who are making them.
2: So Casey, I've seen some of these cakes and they are admittedly quite incredible
1: um but i feel like for our listeners
2: can you introduce us to a couple of the like different cake artists that you talk to and what's different about their styles.
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I opened the piece by talking about Natalie Sidesurf who runs a business with her husband Dave in Austin, Texas. They have their own Food Network show um, but I found her work because she went to art school and takes a super sculptural approach. Um, She creates what have been called hyper-realistic cakes so they can be anything from a bust of a person like Willie Nelson.
2: The Willie Nelson one is crazy. The picture that we have in the story, like there's a slice cut out of Willie Nelson's, cake Willie Nelson's head. It looks like he had a lobotomy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty weird. Um, and that cake actually put her on the map. Her brother had posted a photo of it on Reddit and it shot to the top, um, to the top slot.
0: So that's the kind of hyper-realistic style, but there's other sort of genres of cake
1: art. There's just so many different approaches. It's really, um, there's no kind of limit to what you can do with cake, which um, I think those television shows really made clear to people. And then,
0: what what television shows?
1: The Food Network shows. So, um, the most popular ones are like Cake Boss, which is this. Uh, I've guy. watched so much Cake Boss with my yeah. mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very like theatrical New Jersey baker who has this ma- massive. Um, bakery business in Hoboken. They'll make like fire breathing cakes and robotic cakes and shaped like anything that you could ever want. I was watching recently and they were making a two scale model of the Titanic. They've also done a life-size race car, a life-size
2: race car cake. That's so big.
1: You can look it up. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Casey. I'll use the internet later.
1: Um, Shows like, Buddies like Cake Boss have kind of opened people's eyes to the fact that cake can b- take so many different forms other than, you know, cylinders and cubes and rectangles. Um, and so people now kind of know to request these kinds of cakes. And through Instagram and Pinterest, they can find people in their neighborhoods who are doing this.
2: Yeah, I thought that was an interesting part of the story. Um, just, I, I, f- I forget which which baker it was, but the one who said, like, I've been making sculptural cakes for 20 years. It's not a new thing, but it is new that, like, customers are savvy enough to know that we can do this with cakes. So they've started to make cooler requests.
1: Right. The person who said that is Ron Ben Israel, who is famous for his wedding cakes. And he said that he was making these novelty sculptural cakes 20 years ago. But, like, another, another approach is kind of... Sticking to more traditional forms, but adding these crazy textures. So making a, a tiered cake look like it's made out of stone or a birch tree or um, adding these sugar flowers that look like they're real flowers.
2: Do the moose cakes
1: fall under that category? So the moose cakes are something kind of totally different that's going on that's also super popular on Instagram because they're just very colorful and sleek um, and there's this technique they use where they splash this glaze over it that's, like, really visually compelling. Um, and so there's, like, a famous Ukrainian architect turned cake designer, Dinara Costco, and she's become famous for this. And she actually um, designs these cakes on computer software, 3D prints molds for them, and then sells the molds for people to make their own.
0: That's incredible. What, what are the kind of artistic processes behind these kind of insane cakes.
1: I visited one cake studio in New York that a cake artist, her name is Madison Lee, and she um, does mostly wedding cakes. So she'll meet with her clients and kind of learn their story. But then while she's sitting with them, she'll do a sketch. um, And so it, it, you know, she's great, has great draftsmanship skills. um, And she'll do a sketch and then kind of really think about the concept and then, you know, these cakes have to be made right before the event. So it's really a challenge in terms of timing, timing it correctly so that the cake will be ready in time, but also so that it's super fresh um, and top quality. So How yeah.
2: long does it take to make one of the cakes?
1: I think they can take hours and hours you know 30 40 50 hours depending on the levels of customization depending on you know the hand painted designs they can now like add paint so that it looks like it's watercolor painting or acrylic painting um they're covering it in sugar flowers maybe in the case of natalie sidesurf and another um another cake artist who makes these um, Figurative—they—they they look almost like figurative sculptures. Mm-hmm. They're using modeling chocolate, which is melted chocolate with corn syrup, and it's really great for sculpting. And so they'll use tools that you know a sculptor might use to carve into these and make anything you can imagine, like a monkey, a unicorn, like you know, a, a person. So
2: I was just wondering because one of them is actually a ceramicist, right? A trained ceramicist?
1: Yeah. So she was formerly a ceramist. Um, and she kind of left that career, had her own business as a set and prop designer, and now she is doing cakes full-time. Her name's Karen Portaleo. And um, she, her cakes are super popular um, because she has this these amazing artistic skills. Like, she made a bust of... The um, Maggie Smith Downton Abbey character for like their season five premiere, and looks exactly like her. Um, so you know, whenever she makes one of these kind of um, high profile cakes, they kind of go viral online because people are just like so amazed that it's cake. And then back to Natalie's side with her, um, it's kind of a similar process, but she really kind of takes her art background um, in terms of the way that she approaches each cake. She looks for source imagery. She's going to do a person. She looks for videos of them online where, you know, usually it's a famous person. And it's not like she's like stalking them. Um, so that she can understand like the dimensionality of their head and like be able to really um, accurately represent them.
2: Well, and at least I think I'm remembering right in that story. In the story you mentioned that some of her like sources that she looks to are actually artists.
1: Right, right. Yeah, she actually named two specific artists who do hyper realistic sculpture. One is named Ron Muek. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And the other is Evan Penny. But um, both like incredible artists who make these sculptures that look like real people.
0: I've had a few sort of fancy uh, cakes uh, before, and and they're in his in lifetime, in my <laughs> lifetime, and sometimes they're excellent tasting, but sometimes they're really awful. And I think there is a I don't know if you if the word stereotype really applies here, but like there's the perception that the more intricate looking a cake is, the more the creator has sacrificed taste oh, for yeah. uh, appearance.
2: I had a cake once it was like on Brown's like 250th anniversary it was shaped like Brown University's like main building I think it had sat out like maybe a few days before they served it to everybody because it was very large and so there was enough for like a large portion of the student body but it was so gross
1: well yeah because it was probably sitting there for days in terms of the cake artists that I spoke to they've all spoken about how taste and flavor are super important because if someone you know sees your cake and, and recognizes that it's beautiful and then they taste it and they don't like the taste of it that colors their entire experience of the cake and it their reputations rest on this so a lot of them are not only making cakes that taste really great they're being super adventurous with their flavors
2: yeah the flavors were making me super hungry when I was reading the story
1: they're yeah crazy what was a lot of champagne in it Oh, champagne cassis and champagne citrus. Madison Lee, who does wedding cakes in the city, who I visited, um, she was telling me that every year different flavors are popular. So, right now it's matcha yuzu and chocolate ginger. Um, and she said the chocolate cham- ginger was really good. It was. Casey for all, brought for back these samples. Visitors. Yeah, <laughs> Casey. Yeah. You should be jealous. They
2: were quite delicious. Madison
1: was very generous and sent me home with a lot of cake for the team. Casey had
2: like 10 mini cakes.
0: I went to a wedding where it was just like, I mean, it was huge. There must have been, like, at least 500 people at this wedding. It was, it was massive, and the cake was humongous. I mean, obviously, each cake is different, but I imagine that these are kind of expensive, expensive objects.
1: Totally, and and with a wedding especially, the cake is such an opportunity to kind of, you know, leave an impression on your guests. Um, Madison spoke about how the cake is the last thing that you eat traditionally, so that can really... Um, affect your memory of the wedding but yes they're not cheap um and like in her case she'll talk with the florist and make sure that she's making sugar flowers that match the actual flowers that will be at the wedding you know they'll be the same color they'll like the same style she'll like sculpt them so that they look a little bit imperfect and look like they're actually natural and folding the way that real flowers do as opposed to being stiff but so it's like these like details which are driven by artistic instincts and passion that certainly do add up so I think it's pretty standard in the city for high-end wedding cakes to be $16 per serving Woohoo! <laughs> Well, also, a lot of these cakes are being
2: purchased, too. Like, maybe not the wedding cakes, but the ones, like, you are talking about for the Downton Abbey cast party. I mean, I'm sure they have enormous budgets for cast parties because they're making billion, not billion, maybe million-dollar movies. (laughs) (laughs) Really?
0: Downton Abbey brings in trillions to PBS.
1: (laughs) No, but, yeah. So, another example was Karen Portaleo had just done a cake for the wrap party for an Avengers movie. So, obviously. What did that one look like? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, <sorry. laughs> I'm sure some Avengers characters, but like when they do those, they have to license the characters to them. Um, and she said that's pretty uninspiring to have to, you know, copy someone else's art, um, which is something that an artist would really say. But
0: Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, using like a Disney character for a, for a cake without licensing, it violates copyright law and can you a takedown notice sent to you sent to your Instagram account.
1: Yeah, one of the artists did say that to me. Well, now that you brought up
2: copyright and law, um, Isaac, I have a question for you, actually. Fire um, away. <laughs> cakes have been cakes as art, as you mentioned in the intro, have kind of been in the news because of this Supreme Court case about a baker who refused to make a cake for a gay couple's wedding. Um, And that whole argument kind of hinges on this idea of cake as art. Do you have an update on where that case is? Well,
0: it was argued in front of the Supreme Court recently, I think last month or two months ago. Essentially, the case involves, as you said, Abby, a cake maker who uh, is very religious. His name is Jack Phillips. He runs a a cake shop shop. Uh, in Colorado, called Masterpiece Cake Shop, he refused to make a wedding cake for a gay couple, saying that you know he has nothing against gay people. Uh, he would happily sell them a pre-made cake, but he cannot create a cake because it's artistic expression for something like same-sex marriage, which he, uh, which he believes violates his religious beliefs. Like with any Supreme Court case, there's you know many layers to this onion. Uh, or layers to this cake, as it might be.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: yeah. Or layers to this uh, cake. I feel everyone in our all our listeners cringing. But um, you're welcome. Anyway, basically, the, the the lower courts have found that you know he has to make this cake because there's a law in Colorado that mandates uh, serving customers, regardless of, among other things, their race or sexual orientation. Um, But Phillips is arguing that the that that law essentially regulates his speech by compelling him to create a wedding cake, uh, which is a piece of artistic expression. So, you know, it is Casey's piece is quite interesting because a lot of the cakes maybe do reach that to my mind, honestly, like they, they do involve
2: some kind of artistic expression. Well, they involve a lot of the same tools, like sculpting tools, it sounds like, and a lot of the cake artists were former artists.
1: This is true, but to be clear, they're all food-safe tools that are specifically for baking.
0: Yeah, and ultimately (laughs) they are products. Like, I mean, I guess you could argue that a painting is a product too, but but a cake for a wedding is different than a painting, you know? And I think one thing the court is going to be grappling with is where you draw the artistic expression kind of line and how... And and how free speech kind of kicks in, you know, like is really creative plating of food, art, Uh, is the MC at the wedding, you know, doing something that's considered artistry, Uh, so they're they're kind of grappling with this question, um, and we'll see how they kind of come out on this in June or over the summer when they release their ruling. But you know, even if wedding cakes are seen or deemed to be kind of expressive uh, conduct. It's still possible that the court will say that it doesn't trump uh, the the right uh, rights of gay couples to uh, be served.
2: Well, it does seem like one major difference in this case between like a work of art, as we traditionally think of one, and a cake is that a cake gets eaten.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting because one of Phillips's points is that whether or not people at the wedding will associate him uh, with the, the gay marriage and say that the presence of his cake there signifies that he condones or in some way supports, uh, this, this act. I mean, I've been, as I was saying, I've been to weddings and I have no idea who makes the cakes and I don't care at all. I think, you know, maybe certain cake artists would argue that that's not the case, even if they don't necessarily agree with, with Phillips's refusing to serve, uh, this couple. And it's also worth noting in this specific instance, you know, there was no discussion of what would appear on the cake or how artistic it would be. I mean, I don't think it was... It, it, Phillips basically just, as soon as he heard that they were a gay couple, was like, no, I'm not going to serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, as a legal question, it would be, you know, I, I, I can't imagine a situation where the, the the result is, well, well, you know, it depends on how artistic the cake is. Like, I don't think the court is going to create... A ruling with that many layers in it. <laughs> no, to bring it back but, home, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's a, it's a huge case. It's gonna have major ramifications. Um, in, in that case, interestingly, like the uh, the National Association of Cake Makers or something filed an amicus brief, uh, which was basically saying, you know, we don't we don't want to get involved in how this case will actually come out, but we just really want the court to say that cakes are art. Uh, so that that will be uh, that will be a part of the ruling.
1: Interesting.
2: Maybe. Casey, I also, I mean, this kind of harkens back to the question that, or the point that I just made with Isaac. But I mean, people are eating these cakes. Right. They take a lot of time and energy to make. I mean, how do the cake artists feel about that, like final step of their work getting destroyed in a way?
1: Well, cakes are made to be eaten. So, um, funnily enough, they a lot of them say they absolutely love the fact that people eat them. Um, It's kind of like this very interesting process and it's kind of performative and theatrical, you know, putting so much time and energy into creating something, putting so much thought into it, making these human connections and then the physical act of delivering it to the venue, having people witness it and then ingest it and then it's just gone. Um, It's kind of like mind bending in a way that, um, and it's unlike... You know traditional art um, keeps things interesting and on a practical level it's a st- stable career people will always need cakes and if you're good at it people will seek you out for it
0: all right I think that's a great place to leave it uh, we'll be back in just a second after a message from our sponsor Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that artists, photographers, and designers of all kinds are using to create websites showcasing their work. One of them is Julian Montague. I live in Buffalo, New York, and I'm an artist and graphic designer. For a project a few years ago, Julian designed a series of book covers. The twist? None of the books actually exist. Julian had made up the titles, the authors, and the designs to create covers that looked almost completely real.
1: And I found it to be a very powerful
0: medium because even if you know it's fake, it takes the viewer down this road of like wondering, well, what would this be about? Like, Intuition and Pest Control, which is one of my titles. Do people ever mistake them for being the real thing? Yeah, all the time, actually. A lot of times people just think that's the piece, is that I've curated these weird books together. More recently, Julian has designed faux exhibition posters for a fictional 1970s art institution. You can see his creations, including a show titled Seven Centuries of Fish in Art, on Julian's website, montaguprojects.com, which he designed using Squarespace. For me now, like a lot of the attention I get is coming through Instagram, but it's really important for me to have people visit my website because it's like I need them to be able to come back and sort of see this whole set of things that I'm doing. And I think Squarespace has been really good for that. Make your work stand out with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Use the offer code artsy to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's offer code artsy. A-R-T-S-Y. And now, back to our show. All right, Casey, uh, where are you going to be drinking white wine this week?
1: So at the time that this is airing, I will be in the Netherlands at Tfaf Maastricht. I'll be covering that art fair. Um, So... That should be really interesting. I haven't been before, and it's a really high-quality art fair where you can see old master paintings and um, really incredible jewelry. So I think it'll That's be really one fun. That's what we covered
2: together, or the New York version, right? We covered
1: the New York version, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: there was crazy stuff there. There were these, like, ancient maps. There were also swords, like, full-on broadswords. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. I'm excited. And Abby, what about you? I'm really looking forward to a show that's on at the Whitney right now um, about Grant Wood. The centerpiece is, of course, Grant Wood's most famous painting, uh, American Gothic. Um, and if you're looking to read more about that, Alexa Gotthardt wrote a really nice piece um, on that work specifically. But while I was looking at this, the work that we included in the story... Grant Wood's stuff doesn't look like American Gothic. I mean, the other works that he's painted, they're much like the the surfaces are much more smooth and stylized. There's this hilarious one that's like representing um, George Washington chopping down the apple tree and admitting that he did it. And like, instead of including like a child's, george washington they include just a very small version of the adult george washington or grant wood does and it's so funny i'm looking at it now and like is this is this right like george washington
0: someone else is like pulling back a curtain on this parable yeah exactly this is a weird painting
2: it's very weird and i like it it a lot it looks very surrealist yeah
0: yeah speaking of of someone who uh, is sort of surreal uh i'm going to check out the david bowie show at the brooklyn museum did not pay $1,500 for, for an advance ticket, uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to go see that. All right, that's all we have time for this week. I hope this podcast left you feeling extremely hungry. I, I know I am. Um, please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Please shoot us an email. We'd love to get your feedback. You can reach us at podcast at artsy.net. Thanks so much, Casey and Abby, for joining me here this week. Glad to be here. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, associate editor Abigail Kane, but joined with help from Louis Sansano. We received additional production assistance from our intern, Soraya Tubak. The theme music is by Broke for Free. All other music is by Chazar.